0: Hi, it's March 9th, 2018. This is the Room Now in Review. I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This week, we have a few new regulatory announcements that are of a surprise. Second, we have the rise and fall of opioids. And lastly, what you can prevent either with a fish diet or with bariatric surgery. At the top of the news, it's a report about GCA and MRA. You may remember last week in, our review, we discussed the use of PET scanning in large vessel vasculitis having an 85% predictive value and 85, an 85% or so sensitivity. Nice numbers in a difficult to diagnose and manage condition. This week we have a report of 30 patients with GCA who are monitored by magnetic resonance angiography or MRA. The problem with this assay in this study is that even at baseline, as they started the assay, as they started the study, um, less than half of the patients had a normal MRA at baseline. And then during the study, uh, over time, the MRI was weakly sensitive to change, such that it didn't really discriminate responders from non-responders, although clinically, patients in this study, GCA treated with tocilizumab, did have a clinical response. So this preliminary report suggests that MRA is probably not a good uh, tool Uh, or assessment tool in the outcome measures uh, and assessment of patients with large vessel vasculitis, in this case, giant cell arteritis. News from NICE this week, that's the UK organization that approves therapy, has uh, made a reversal in that uh, December of 2017, NICE actually came up with a decision that it would not approve tocilizumab for use in GCA talking to cost-effectiveness issues, obviously an expensive therapy uh, for which they were spending pennies treating it with steroids in the past. But new analyses and new data submitted and discussions with multiple uh, stakeholders has led NICE to uh, reverse its its decision and now approve tocilizumab for giant cell arthritis, especially in patients with repeated relapses or those who don't respond to steroids. If you know of patients who have total joint and total hip replacement, you do know that they are uh, at risk for venous thromboembolic events, especially if they've had bilateral surgeries. The question is, at some point, do their venous thromboembolic event risks go away? This uh, study was actually done and compared a large number of patients who traveled by air and those who traveled by land, um, uh, and they they had to do, I think, almost three hours of of travel uh, by by air uh, to make their follow-up visits. And they found that patients who were traveling by air uh, to and from the hospital after their hip replacement or knee replacement, that those patients had a, a doubling of the rate, excuse me, a tripling of the rate of venous thromboembolic events, 1.64% versus 0.58%. Um, I myself have had bilateral knee replacements and do wear. Um, You know, Ted Hose, uh, compression stockings when I'm taking uh, airplane trips, and it seems to be a wise idea uh, in patients who had these procedures. So again, there is a low risk, but it is more in people who are traveling who've had major lower limb surgery. A study of 176 RA patients looked at those and what they ate as far as their diet, and they showed that you could actually significantly lower your DAS scores by increasing the amount of fish in your diet, such that those patients who ate more than two servings of fish two or more times uh, per week, tended to have better disease control and significantly lower DAS scores, and that the more you increased it, the more you had a lowering of your DAS score, such that for each additional serving of fish, the DAS CRP was lowered by 0.18 you know good reason to suggest fish for your patients there's also historic data that says that patients who eat a lot of fish are more at a lesser risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis bariatric surgery was looked into this week comparing it to lifestyle modification in obese diabetic patients uh, there's no arthritis outcomes here just looking at the benefits of weight loss and how you do it if you do it through a, a lifestyle modification and diet uh, you're less likely to achieve your goals and if you use bariatric surgery Uh, The bottom line is that for the different methods of bariatric surgery, it was significantly better and and measured in all ways, including those who were able to stop their diabetes medicine. So if you actually had a gastric bypass surgery, the more radical procedure, you were 17, 17 times more likely to go off your diabetes medicine. If you actually use gastric sleeve, also effective therapy, less radical, less radical you were seven times more likely to go off your diabetes medicines. And if you had the um, less effective, but nonetheless often done gastric lap band surgery, you were only four times more likely to go off your diabetes medicines. Again, for patients who are problematic diabetics, who are obese, who are, uh, who are struggling with their weight, this may be the right solution. An interesting study by the name of the HUMOR trial, looked at the efficacy of patients on Humira who have erosive osteoarthritis. It's a relatively small trial of 51 patients, but it did show that patients who are taking adalimumab for erosive RA, there was no benefit as far as a reduction in pain, reductions in synovitis, or in reductions in bone marrow lesions, adding it to the stockpile, the large stockpile of drugs that do not work in erosive osteoarthritis. This is problematic. We do need therapies. We do need more research in this area. Rituximab, uh, as you know, is a common drug that's used in both both rheumatology and in oncology. And unfortunately, patients who read the package inserts on these drugs are often dissuaded because of the many side effects that you see, which are often related to what you see when rituximab is given to patients with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or sometimes with leukemia. What is actually known, though, from this review was that the adverse event rates are much, much higher in patients who were on uh, Rituximab for lymphoma leukemia, it ranged from 25 to 36 percent of patients, and was much lower in those who received it for autoimmune disease, where it was only 9 to 17 percent. You're more likely to have adverse events if you had splenomegaly, anemia, a history of uh, drug allergies, and increasing age. Tofacitinib is in the news this week, and, and and I threw a tweet out there about its dosing in uh, renal impairment. Actually, you should know that you don't have to adjust the dose of tofacitinib if you have mild to moderate renal impairment. But you should know also that the drug was really never studied in patients with a uh, creatinine clearance of less than 40 in RA and less than 50 in PSA. But for most patients you know, who have mild renal impairment, there is no need to dose adjust. The big news is that today, Friday, the, the 9th of of March. We actually have uh, a news that from yesterday where the FDA panel, uh, the GI panel, voted in favor of approving tofacitinib for the treatment of moderate to severely active ulcerative colitis. This is a study of adult patients. They looked at multiple studies. They looked at multiple regimens. They voted unanimously across the board 15 to 0 for approval and for approval at a dose of 10 milligrams BID. Um, They actually voted against Uh, requiring or suggesting a study where there would be an induction uh, study of 10 milligrams BID followed by five milligrams BID maintenance. Uh, And and obviously they were persuaded strongly by the 10 milligram data. Now, again, usually the FDA follows the recommendation of the advisory panel. But in this case, that would be a breakthrough because uh, 10 milligram dose BID was sought for with other indications and denied largely because it was not thought to have additional benefit uh, uh, and with no risk. In fact, they were concerned about the risks of 10 milligram BID. And there's some suggestion it might be a little bit more side effects at that dose. Here, this would be the first time that 10 milligram BID would be the recommended dose if it is to be approved for ulcerative colitis as recommended by the panel. Now, the FDA could come back and say, no, we're only gonna approve the lower dose, but the strength of the data was not quite as great as with uh, 10 milligrams BID. Uh, Opioids are in the news this week. Uh, Sad news from the CDC. Um, The CDC had a webinar where it reported that in a one-year timeframe, from July 2016 to July 2017, opioid-related overdoses increased by 30% nationwide. Regionally, it varied and was high as 70% in some places. Uh, and, and it's really quite shocking that this problem continues. Uh, we do need better education to curtail the use and abuse of opioids. Uh, there was another important paper that was found in, 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 at JAMA, which studied the use of either opioids or non-opioid analgesic medicines in patients requiring pain meds for either chronic back pain, chronic uh, hip or knee pain, usually due to osteoarthritis. This is a 240-patient study from the Veterans Administration where patients either received an opioid that could be escalated to many different forms of opioid, starting out with uh, a hydrocodone and ending up with fentanyl and, and even more uh, more stronger uh, OxyContin-like medicines, um, or they were randomized to receive acetaminophen and then escalated to receive non-steroidals and maybe at the very end, Tramadol. So opioid versus non-opioid, no difference in overall functional outcomes nor in reductions in pain. Both groups started out with a pain score of about 5.4. Those that went on the non-opioids dropped to 3.5 and opioids dropped to 4.0. While that is slightly significant in favor of the non-opioids, it's not a major difference. Uh, Hence, opioids are not definitely better in these patients who have chronic pain. Moreover, the opioid patients were more likely to have more adverse events, double the rate 1.8 versus 0.9%, and that was significant. Again, this is important because in the management, uh, initial management of chronic pain uh, patients, that opioids should not be the first choice, that there are other agents that work just as well, if not better. Uh, Lastly, there's an interesting report about um, severe um, uh, cytotoxic T-cell mediated skin disorders like Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis, These are very, very dangerous conditions arising from drug reactions um, for which they may be hard to treat. This particular study looked at 96 patients with either um, TENS or SJS, Stevens-John syndrome, or toxic epidermal necrolysis, and looked at the uh, efficacy of Etanercept and showed that uh, Etanercept was able to decrease mortality reduce the time to resolution of skin lesions, and also reduce the amount of GI hemorrhage. Uh, I I was not aware of TNF inhibitors prior to this being used for this purpose, and I think this is a nice advantage and an interesting study. That's it for this week at Room Now. Uh, Tune into the website to find more of these uh, reports, to get the links to read more on these articles. Be sure to sign up for the podcast on iTunes or on um, Stitcher, or whoever you listen to your podcast on. That's it. We'll see you next week on Room Now. Enjoy.